Hello, welcome to the Nito Juarez Experience with your host, Luciano Gonzalez. And Duem Navarro Rivera. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about a rather fun topic that all of our Puerto Rican listeners are already well aware of, and more than a few of our other listeners are probably also aware of this. But in case you're not, we're going to be starting it off with a little bit of context. In Puerto Rico, in February, a decree was passed that basically allowed for there to be government-regulated and government-endorsed prayer. This understandably caused a lot of tension between secular groups independent of their members' religious affiliations and the people in the government who supported it. In order for this to make a little bit more sense, I'm going to start off by explaining that the politician who headed this, who headed this decree and was in charge of it was Puerto Rico's speaker or presidente of the House of Representatives. His name is Carlos Johnny Mendez. His name isn't actually Johnny. That's just his nickname for some reason. And he is one of the members of the New Progressive Party. He and some of his supporters began this decree in February. It was February 17th and February 18th when all of this was going on in the House of Representatives. It would eventually get passed, and it would effectively authorize a period of prayer for the sake of helping the island recover from all of the all of the bad things that are going on in the island, and that includes things like schools being forced to shut down, there being giant power outages, and just a lot of really bad stuff. Now, to any secularly-minded individual, of course, this seems like a ridiculous response that doesn't actually do anything, and lots of people pointed that out, including Christian people who were paying attention to it, and it was just a ridiculous period of time. But part of the reason why this was able to get passed is the fact that the new progressive party is the party that has the most representation on the island. And now that we have a little bit of context about this, I'd like to ask Glenn what he thinks of this. You know, it doesn't surprise me. Like, I've been following the story not as close as you have. But it is a pattern. Of not just in you know of this administration that basically had just started, but historically there have been some tensions in the sense that Puerto Rican politicians have not been very sensitive to matters of separation of church and state. There are the case in the late 1990s, uh, early 2000s, back when. The current governor's uh, father was uh, was the governor at the time, uh, Pedro Rosselló, and the the legislature was also controlled by his party, the New Progressive Party, or PNP, as we call it back in Puerto Rico. Passed some legislation, basically declaring drug addiction as a spiritual illness, and in essence, em- uh, empowering organizations, like a lot of particularly evangelical institutions that provide drug treatment uh, as basically the de facto sources of treatment, which essentially forced 
people to receive me uh, medical treatment that was religious or religious treatment as medical treatment. I don't know if that's still the case. I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if it's still the case. But you know, it, it, there has been a pattern of religious involvement in Puerto Rican politics in a way that makes you think of you know, the power of the religious right in the United States. We, we have to really understand that Johnny is a very special kind of Christian. I'm not going to go as far as to say that he's a dominionist, and I know that there are going to be other Puerto Ricans who disagree with me on this. By the way, for listeners who are unfamiliar with the term dominionist, dominion theology is basically a theology that states that it would be better for the United States and whatever other countries are, wherever the, the, whatever, wherever the person who's a dominionist is from, it would be better if that country was run by Christians and for Christians. I'm not going to go as far as to say that Mendez is one of these individuals, but he certainly seems like it to people who are unfamiliar with him. I'm going to I'm going to point out that there are articles online that you can find, such as one from the International Humanist and Ethical Union, which point out that Mendez has apparently claimed, and I believe this because I've seen interviews with him, but he seems like the sort of person who would say this. He see, it said that he thinks that people who don't have God in their hearts are worthless. So he's a very kind and loving Christian. It's, it's ridiculous to me that he was elected, but he was, and now Puerto Rico has to deal with the consequences of him being elected. But this is an especially stupid thing to me because many, many of our listeners who are non-believers are also familiar with the Bible. People know that you're not supposed to pray in public. That's not a thing that people find Christian. It's also not a thing that's going to help anyone. Puerto Rico has a lot of problems, and none of them are going to be solved by making the island just a little bit more theocratic. It's weird to me that people actually think that this is the solution, but I don't believe that any of the politicians who supported this, and there are a good number of politicians who supported this, this was able to pass. I don't think that any of them actually believe that this is going to solve anything. I think that this is a cheap appeal to Christian sentiment in the island, and I think that the main purpose of it is to attract believers and to get them to go out and vote. It's an attempt to appeal to them and make it seem like this is their island. And it's really not, because not only is Puerto Rico a part of the United States, Puerto Rico's constitution also says that there's supposed to be separation of church and state. So this is an island that has a majority believer population, but it's not just an island for believers. It's not an island where the church is supposed to be meddling in the affairs of the state and vice versa. Yeah, I think the, the historical context is very important in here because, you know, at the end of the day, Puerto Rico has, you know, was colonized by Spain, had an official Catholic religion until late in the 19th century. There, the, the way that the island was divided after the Americans invaded in 1898 was essentially that different Protestant denominations were given different parts of the island so they could 
re-evangelize or actually evangelize because Catholics weren't actual Christians for many of these Protestant denominations back in the day. Uh, so there's a long history of you know, religion being immersed, not only from the Spanish colonial times, but also from the American colonial times in which they tried to use religion to make Amer uh, Puerto Rico more, uh, quote-unquote, civilized uh, and more Protestant. Not only that, but in more recent times, we had in the 1960s, the Catholic Church created their own political party over... Uh, the role of public education and religion in, in public, uh, role of religion in public schools, which is a subject I would like to explore uh, in a later show at some point. But also, I think uh, it, it's important to know a little bit more about the process of how this is happening, how these happen, uh, these 40 days of, uh, of fast and prayer. And can you explain us a little bit how how Johnny Mendes proceeded? Like, was this an official session, or they? Because from what I understand, they got different people involved, and they tried to distribute it around the island. If I am not wrong. So. The way that this happened, and I think that this is a really important thing to touch on, this was marketed as an optional period of prayer. Of course, mandating it as mandatory would be impossible, but the fact that they actually explicitly stated, and they did, their translated versions of the decree that you can find online in case you're not a Spanish speaker, but there's also a Spanish version, which we'll be uploading in the links in this in this episode, once it's online, uh, you can find text that explicitly states that it's optional. And that kind of defeats the whole purpose of going to the trouble of mandating it. That's part of the reason why I don't think that this was a real attempt to legislate a period of prayer, but I think that this was a crude attempt to appeal to Christian ideology and sentiment. Because if they they understood that they couldn't market it as mandatory. That would be struck down in the Supreme Court without a doubt. There's no way that that would survive the Supreme Court. Even, even the current Supreme Court was Neil Gorsuch and all of the stuff that's going on right now in the greater context of American political history, that would still get struck down because this is, that would obviously be seen as an attempt to mandate religion, and that can't happen. But they marketed it as optional. And then they had various politicians. Um, I remember some of the exact politicians who said that they would go and support it from the beginning are Eddie Gina. Um, I can't, I'm having a really hard time with these names because I'm trying to say them in the American way. But uh, another one is Samuel Pagan, Jackie Rodriguez, Mari Carmen Mas Rodriguez, and Ramon Rodriguez Ruiz who are in District 1, District 35, District 25, District 19, and District 27. Um, they were some of the first politicians who would go and state that not only would they attempt to get it passed, they would also make it a thing in their specific districts. Because obviously, it's one thing to say that there's a period of prayer and fasting 
but it's another thing altogether to actually participate in it, to encourage your constituents to go and do it, and that's what this group of politicians is actually trying to do. Now, in terms of uh, the religion, the, the, the preachers that were involved in this, because I'm assuming the politicians themselves, unless they were preachers, they weren't the ones leading uh, these kind of efforts. Uh, were they, are you aware if they were mostly Protestants or Catholics involved or Evangelicals, Pentecostales, uh, or other types of denominations? I know that there was a Facebook Live video which showed a Catholic pastor talking about this, but that was the only video that I saw. And there were multiple people who were sending me information about this because I was one of the first people to write about it. I wrote about it within a couple of hours of it happening, and it got shared by some of our friends over at the Humanista Seculares de Puerto Rico, which was one of the main groups that was trying to fight it and that is still trying to fight it, is still furious about this, because this is a ridiculous event. I heard rumors that there were, um, I heard rumors, but I couldn't confirm anything, that there was one Jehovah's Witness who was involved in it over in, over in Ponce, but I didn't find anything concrete. I also heard, I know for a fact that there were evangelicals, but I think it was in San Juan and in, I think it was only in San Juan that I heard that there were evangelicals who were involved who weren't Catholic. Did you hear anything about the pastors who were involved? Not really. I most of what I knew was from Eva Quiñones, was uh, humanistas seculares. I was trying to uh, gather information about where these uh, events were going to be held, uh, and uh, but not necessarily. You know, I wasn't a story I was following closely uh, due to a lot of other stuff that was going on in uh, not only in politics here in the United States that I had to do for my day job, uh, but but in general, like you know, it, it, I had a very active feed uh, during that period, so it wasn't certainly at the top of my priorities, which probably makes me a very bad secularist. Uh, it's it's understandable. Honestly, this when I, when I first heard that this was happening, I had to think for a second to like try. I actually had to research it for a few minutes to make sure that it wasn't satirical. Because even though it's Puerto Rico, which as we all know is not a very irreligious place at all, it's overwhelmingly Christian. Even though that's the case, that sounds like something that would be. It just doesn't sound like something that would happen in real life in this day and age. And I mean, of course it does. Right now, uh, this is the week, if you're curious as to when we're filming this, I'll give you a hint. This is the week that that Taylor, or that, that the mayor of San Antonio was, went viral for her statement. This sort of thing still happens in the United States. We still get politicians openly mocking non-believers, saying all sorts of terrible things about us and trying to pass legislation like this. But it doesn't feel like something that should be happening in 2017. And that doesn't mean anything particularly mean to believers. I understand and I feel like they're still going to exist for a very long time, but this sort of overt anti-atheistic behavior just feels satirical at this point. It feels like a bad joke. 
except that we are still living in the alternative reality in which Donald Trump was elected president. And I hope that within the next few weeks that timeline gets corrected uh, and we are in the correct timeline, which is the one where uh, Barack Obama was able to run for re-election and win. For the third term. I, yes. I, I yes, I mean, if we're living alternative realities, we better live in, in, in a decent one. A better one than this. I wanted to talk about this. And I know, I know at this point it seems, like, it seems like we're rambling, especially to any of our listeners who don't feel a particularly strong sort of way about this issue. But I think that people should feel a strong way about this. I feel like this is... I wrote this when I first heard about it. I said that it was lazy. I wrote that if prayer and fasting worked, why should anyone vote for politicians anymore? To me, what this is, is an attempt to pin the blame off on something else. When I was living in Honduras and when I was starting things like the Honduras Report, which is a newspaper that I run where I translate articles in Spanish into English, I remember coming across an article where it said that a police force in San Pedro Sula, at the time the most dangerous city in the world, went to a Catholic church and they had a ceremony performed. They, at the end of the article, it was said that they were placing everything in God's hands. And what that is to me is it's an excuse. They're saying that for all the murders that happened, all the terrible things that happened in San Pedro Sula, it was all going to be because God just didn't want anything good to happen. And that's what's going on right now. This is a way for the politicians to have an easy out, and it's disgusting. Well, but it also doesn't surprise me. It wasn't very... Now that you mentioned that example in Honduras, it wasn't very long ago when the Puerto Rican Police Department was actually doing stops, uh, transit stops, and traffic stops, and basically not actually picketing people. They were praying. So they stopped them to pray, which, of course, was a blatant uh, violation of the separation of church and state anywhere. But so, so I think the larger concept is that a lot of the stuff that is happening in terms of politicians being openly religious, which shouldn't be a problem in general, and you know, politicians can't, uh, you know, be of any religious background. There's no test for that. Uh, the problem is, like, doing legislation or using public funds to promote religion, that's a whole different matter, and that's what is happening here, and that is why it's problematic. But at the same time, it's not surprising to me because there's a history of these things happening uh, for centuries <laughs> to some degree, but also because even when there are definitely religious minorities, there are small Jewish communities, there are small Islamic communities, there's definitely a secular atheist community in Puerto Rico, there's an assumption that everybody is a Christian and it shouldn't bother anybody. That Christianity is a default and by being a default means that it's just a cultural thing, it's not a religious thing. And that reminded me a, a few, couple of decades ago. Uh, I'm just going to say that. When I was growing up, I was a teenager. Uh, my hometown, Bayamón, 
uh, it still has those signs actually. Uh, on put signs at the entrance of of the town in different roads that you know uh, bordered the neighboring towns. And when you were coming in from another town, it says "Welcome to Bayamón, bienvenido a Bayamón." But when you were leaving Bayamón into the next town over, the sign said "Vaya con Dios" or "Godspeed." Uh, my 14, 15-year-old self thought that was ridiculous and appalling. Uh, I was bare, you know, slightly familiar with Benito Juarez, our namesake for this show, Thomas Jefferson, and, and a little bit of you know, what separation of church and state meant. And every time I brought that issue, either with friends or with family, everybody said that, that wasn't a problem because it wasn't a problem because, you know, it wasn't religious. We're just talking about God and who the hell doesn't believe in God? So, you know, there is a context in here. There is, and I think there is an assumption that everybody is religious and that either, and I've heard this, like, you know, I'm not making this out of thin air. I've heard this about people and I've heard this about me. Uh, that you know, if you don't believe, if you're an atheist, you certainly believe in God. You're just angry because you know God did something to you, or you think God did something to you, but you're not. And so you're, you know, you're trying to get back and at God by denying Him, of course, because in this context, God is a dude. It's it's an interesting topic. And I think that part of the reason why it's worth talking about is that very thing that you said. There's that implication that everyone is a believer. It's not just in Puerto Rico. As someone who's lived in Central and South America, I can say that at least in my personal experience, it's a fairly common, fairly universal Latin Americanism, I guess. It's just one of the things that happens when you live in Latin America. But part of the reason why this is worth talking about isn't just for... Atheists. It's for the religious minorities who aren't atheists, who either don't believe in God, like Buddhists, or believe in God that you don't really pray to. There's this idea that all Christians, or at the very least Christianity, is reflective of religion and isn't, isn't this unique thing that because Christians pray, all other types of believers pray. That's not true. I can think of a couple of religions that are really small, and a couple of religions that aren't very small, where people don't pray. And it's important that we talk about them, it's important that they be included, because I can guarantee you that at least some of those types of religions exist in Puerto Rico. This isn't just about us, although we should talk about it in the context of non-believers and separation of church and state, because we are non-believers who support separation of church and state. No, absolutely. Uh, one of the important things that we got to remember as part of our history, uh, and I mean as, as secular people, is that a lot of the battles for a secular state were fought by religious people, by religious minorities who were you know, oppressed by religious majorities, uh, whether it, it is people like us, uh, uh, atheists, agnostics, non-religious in the United States these days, whether it was in 1963 when uh, 
the then teenager Ellery Shamp won his case uh, against the uh, against the school district uh, and basically uh, eliminated uh, Bible reading uh, and, and prayer in the in public schools in the United States, or whether it is the Danbury Baptist uh, in Connecticut. Uh, writing to Thomas Jefferson and vice versa to to address the issue of the uh, Congregational Church in Connecticut being official and, and basically having a lot of power. So this, you know, there's history of religious organizations and, and religious denominations fighting for a secular state in general. Uh, you know, right now, uh, a very recent history, Turkey, who that is uh, a state, uh, you know, the modern state of Turkey, that is, uh, it well until recently was secular, officially has basically eroded to the extent that conservative Islamic forces are are taking it back. Uh, not sure if they're going to take it back to the times of the Ottoman Empire or to some other era or some future era, but certainly there's an erosion of Turkish secularism that actually should be an important aspect for for us in this community to talk because Muslims, particularly in secular and atheist communities, get a very bad rap. And Turkey was one of those countries uh, where it was, it has an, it, it had an Islamic past. It certainly had a Muslim majority, but it had a constitutional framework that was secular. I I am going to slightly shift it just a little bit so we can get back to what we were talking about before. Although I'm glad that we were talking about that with DJ because I know that there are lots of listeners who are probably not super aware of what's going on in Turkey. I'm glad that we're establishing that that's the thing that we're going to be talking about, probably the relative future, probably next couple of months. But I think it's important that we establish that what happened in Puerto Rico is almost certainly going to be an event that future historians, not major historians, but historians of secular people like us and historians of Puerto Rico are going to talk about. And I think, I know that that's probably a surprising opinion to have, but I do think this is going to be something that we talk about. This is going to be one of the first things that happened in Puerto Rico and the Trump presidency. So as we begin to wrap up this conversation little by little, I wanted to place this in the overall greater historical context that it deserves to be placed in. Because as this event was occurring, as Carlos Johnny Mendez was preparing this bit of legislation, as the various secular groups and Christian groups around the country were reacting, not around the country, around Puerto Rico were reacting to it, and as people in the mainland United States began to hear about it, there were other events that were going on. But this deserves to be recognized for what it was. This was a, I, I would argue that this was a special event. This was the first time in my life I was hyper-conscious of something like this happening, this was one of the first times in the past couple of years that it was a legislated attempt to force religion on people because that's, that's what it is. If you're encouraging people through your position as a legislator to publicly pray and fast, you are basically 
politely forcing religion on someone. You are using your authority to encourage people to be religious, and you're using it as a secular figure, which is weird. And this deserves to be the subject of more conversations than it was, especially now that all the conversations around it, even in Puerto Rico, at the very least, the published conversations that people are having, the articles about it, have largely stopped, which is frustrating. Yeah, I think that's something that it's interesting that most of the information that we're going to be sharing, uh, looking at this critically, wasn't, you know, certainly was not, or at least of the stuff that I looked up, I couldn't find anything in mm, Puerto Rican mainstream media. Maybe I, I didn't dig uh, uh, deep enough. But I think to some extent we should also, even if some resources may be in Spanish, we could also, if we find them, share, that, share those as well in the, in, in our uh, the, the page for this uh, particular po uh, show. Because I think it's important to show uh, at the moment when there was resistance that you know it wasn't that people just went for it that there was and of course we are aware that there was a resistance. Uh, the question is in which how amplified were those voices or it it just stayed within you know our communities. One of the things that I want to say about that is that it's very interesting to me that Fox News actually covered this. And and I was, I, I'm friends with some of the members of the Humanista Seculares de Puerto Rico. And some of them were surprised that Fox had actually talked about it. I remember sharing an article and I tagged a few people and I was like, you guys, you, you seen this? Because Puerto Rico is talking about the court case. And people, people were stunned by that. Although, at the time that this was happening, It makes sense, because at the time that this was happening, events around Fox were, were starting to happen. Right now, we're in the era, this is also the same week where um, that joke about Ivanka Trump was made, which led to one of the Fox hosts going on vacation. And everyone thinks that this vacation is actually a vacation. He's going to be back. But it's still interesting that these events were all occurring at the same general time especially because when you hear the events that happen in Puerto Rico, you're going to think that they were happening like 50 or 60 years ago, not in 2017. Well, so what's your final take of the Johnny Mendez affair and the 40 days of prayer and breakfast? I mean, and fast, not breakfast. Prayer and, prayer and breakfast. I like that. I think that would attract a lot more people than just prayer and fast. Oh, definitely. My final, I'll go thoughts that. Are, <laughs> my final thoughts are that this is an interesting situation. This is going to be a final thoughts part one, not only because we're going to come back to this with guests at a later point in time, but also because I can guarantee you this is going to happen again in the future, probably within the next couple of years. This was one of Carlos Johnny Mendez's, not, not his first acts, especially because he had been a politician before, but he was elected to be the Speaker of the House, I think for the first time. I think that he was brand new, and this was one of the first things that he did. So 
I can guarantee you there are going to be more fun things to talk about with everyone's favorite Puerto Rican theocrat. We are undoubtedly going to be talking about this again, but if you want to know more information, we're going to be having several links in both English and in Spanish on the website once this video has been uploaded. Uh, Juan, what are your final thoughts? Not surprised. Agree with you. It's going to, something similar is going to happen again, and I think it, it is a good setup for not only that we're going to be bringing similar subjects back up in here, but that it has inspired me to organize a show around the Partido Acción Cristiana in 1960, which I think is one of my favorite bits of Puerto Rican history. Thank you for listening to the Menito Juarez Experience. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite application. Also, provide a review if you can, preferably a very good one. Also, remember to like our Facebook page, and now also you can follow us on Twitter. Until next time, thank you.